Welcome to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. I'm John Bernstein, Regional President of PNC, alongside my co-host, Carolyn Jones, Market President and Publisher of the Boston Business Journal. Thanks, John. It's great to be with you on PNC C-Speak. Each podcast features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge sharing platform showcases leaders with forward-thinking approaches that disrupt the status quo and cause us to think differently. Our guest today is Jim Heppelman, the Chief Executive Officer of PTC. Welcome, Jim. Yeah, hello, Carolyn. Hello, John. Glad to be here. Jim, welcome to C-Speak. PTC's focus is on digital transformation. Can you share with our listeners a bit more detail about the company and the work you do? Yeah, uh, PTC is a global software company, fairly large at about $2 billion in revenue. And we help manufacturing companies around the world produce products and then manage those products throughout their life. So that means software to help them engineer the products, computer-aided design and simulation, software to help them actually manufacture the product in the factory, and then software to help them service and support the product when it's out in the field at the customer side. So we have uh, customers around the world that range from Rolex making watches to Airbus making aircraft to, you know, Raytheon making those uh, HIMARS missile systems that are helping out in Ukraine to Toyota making cars, uh, you name it, just uh, all types of manufactured products around the world. And, you know, the company was founded and remains headquartered here in Boston. You know, Jim, you are really a thought leader in the spaces that you just mentioned, and you do speak and you write a great deal about industrial innovation. Can you tell us about that, what that entails? So, you know, being a thought leader kind of means I have a bit of a gift for thinking about a technology and then thinking about manufacturing companies and imagining how manufacturing companies might use that technology to engineer differently, to manufacture differently, or to service products differently. And uh, a lot of times uh, we need to write that down and occasionally it gets published. So I've uh, collaborated with uh, Professor Michael Porter from Harvard on a few publications that ended up in Harvard Business Review. We've put a few publications into the uh, National Associations of Manufacturers. And a lot of them just internally end up, you know, affecting the software that we develop and the, the value propositions we bring to our customers. So anyway, I don't know. I'm just, uh, it's a bit of a gift that I can imagine how things might work differently and how we might use a certain technology to bring that to life. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good quality, I think, to have in a CEO. Just to add to that question a little bit, are there any key sort of um, tenets that stand out in some of the writing that you do or some key pieces? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a couple of areas I've uh, focused on and, you know, become somewhat well known for. One was uh, the so-called Internet of Things. We looked at, okay, Internet of Things, what does that mean? Well, the things you connect to the Internet are actually manufactured products. Uh, It might be a watch you wear on your hand or it might be sensors in some big machine in the factory. But it's really the internet of manufactured products. And then we we really considered how might a company work differently if the products it makes and puts out in the field were phoning home and giving it information. Let me just give you an example. At a very high level, there's a lot of times customers buy a product, they use the product, they sort of personally monitor the product. And if there's a problem, they call the manufacturer and say, hey, there's a problem. And a lot of times the product's already out of commission, it's losing value, and uh, the customer's angry. Well, if the product had sensors, we could actually flip this upside down. So the product would monitor itself, and in doing so, monitor how much value the customer was receiving. 
and it could be an early warning system. So rather than have the customer monitor the product, why don't we have the product monitor the customer and the value they're getting and be proactive in letting us know if a problem's developing so that we could intervene and, and solve that problem, you know, during a period of time when the product's not being used or something like that. So that's an example of, you know, applying a technology, Internet of Things, to transform a business process and make it work very much differently and, and quite frankly, uh, very much better. Professor Porter and I wrote a couple of papers really around various topics related to that specific uh, phenomenon, for example. Yeah, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Jim, you've had a remarkable entrepreneurial career. What drives that in you? Yeah, I think uh, two gifts. One I mentioned uh, that I can imagine how things would work differently when a technology is applied. And the, and the second gift I have, this is going to sound strange, but um, I'm a bit impatient. I get bored easily, which means I'm open to changes, uh, very much so. Uh, sometimes, you know, just feel like it's time for a change because this this other thing's getting a little bit too routine. So, uh, yeah, I became an entrepreneur. I founded a software company. It was acquired by PTC when it was still a very small startup. And uh, over time, that very small startup ended up becoming very much core to PTC. And uh, so much so that I became the president of the big company that acquired the little one. You know, since that time, of course, we've also acquired many startup companies and we bring them into the fold and we create a very constructive environment where we take their ideas. Of course, we surround it with, you know, much more funding and, and pathways to the market and so forth. And we help these little companies develop their ideas into much bigger businesses uh, within PTC. So as a company, we've been quite successful in terms of mergers and acquisitions by acquiring seeds and developing, you know, very large uh, plants, if you will, producing fruit that's uh, very interesting to our shareholders. So um, it's a good set of skills, I think, for a CEO to have to be both uh, able to imagine things working differently and patient enough to want to go after them on a pretty regular basis. What are you seeing in the startup space that's capturing your interest today? Oh yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, of course, AI, you know, the whole conversation about chat GPT is, uh, is definitely <laughs> yeah. out there right now. But I think, uh, you know, PTCs of the opinion that all software will have AI in it, all software. So we tell our teams, uh, you know, we have at least nine different product brands. We tell all of our teams, uh, you need to imagine how AI is going to be used in your product because it is. It's just a question of do we get there first or do competitors? So um, I think that uh, not necessarily always AI like ChatGPT, but I think that topic, let me give you a quick example of how AI is used uh, in a pretty innovative way. We have something like conceptually like ChatGPT in our 3D computer-aided design software, but instead of generating text, it actually generates 3D models. So you'd kind of describe to it what you're looking for, what sort of loads and stresses would be applied, what are the interface points that the bolt holes got to attach to and so forth. And then it generates a part geometry for you. And it's fascinating because uh, this generative design, which is a type of AI, produces designs that look very organic, like uh, Mother Nature made them. You know, I say like, uh, if you ever think about it, you know, in the end of Thanksgiving dinner, when you're looking at the turkey carcass and you look at the shapes of those bones, they're not square or cylindrical. They don't have square corners. You know, Mother Nature uh, does not think like humans think. Humans think about how to cut a part out of something. Mother Nature thinks about how you use cell division to build it up. 
And so generative design, AI, produces parts that look like they came from Mother Nature. It's really, really fascinating. You know, I wonder, talk a little bit, your thoughts on what startups can teach big companies, sort of how does that reflect upon your own journey as a leader? Yeah, I think uh, the key thing about uh, startup companies is they work with such a sense of urgency. They really have little inertia because they don't have history and legacy. And, uh, you know, one of the things I always uh, espouse to our own employees is that uh, the real competitor is inertia. The thing that will hurt us most is just our desire to keep doing what we're doing because it's comfortable. And, And it's very comfortable for humans to do today what they did yesterday. And it's much less comfortable to change. And uh, so at PTC, we have many programs to uh, encourage people to be open to change, many slogans and programs and initiatives. And uh, and over the years, we've made many, many changes. Uh, many of them have been successful, not all. But I think the more success we have, the easier it is to sell the next change. And to me, that whole willingness to change and to be agile and to pivot quickly is really a startup company trade. And it's largely because they have no legacy, which creates inertia. So a little bit more about you as a leader. So strong leaders are often defined by how they lead and inform when they're faced with big obstacles, major issues. You yourself, you've created companies, you advise and coach so many others. So can you share with us a little bit about your process, about how you process, how do you stay positive and focused for your teams in in these different kinds of challenging situations? Yeah. Let me first say, you know, we've made many changes and transformations proactively, strategically. But, you know, especially over the last five years, we've been confronted with so many unexpected dramas, whether it's uh, COVID and work from home and do you have to be vaccinated or not? You know, it's just it's been kind of a deafening barrage, if you will, of things that a management team has to react to and try to navigate. When it's the proactive issues, what I've always tried to do is develop some kind of a vision and really go sell it and spend a lot of time espousing what are we trying to do? Why are we trying to do it? What would we have to change in order to make that vision come to life? So that's the proactive stuff, you know, where you have time and you can plan. The other stuff is really, to me, I try to navigate on uh, right versus wrong rather than right versus left. I try to stay out of right versus left issues as a company. Let's take, for example, Russia. You know, we had a business in Russia. And after Russia invaded Ukraine, I mean, it it took us like a week to watch that on television and said, let's just get out of Russia. Let's just shut the business down. And, uh, you know, our employees basically said, hallelujah, I'm totally on board with that. And uh, we were one of the first companies just walk away, just told our partners, told our customers we're done. Sorry, there's some contracts we have to honor until such time as they come up for renewal, at which point we won't renew them. But we just walked out of there. And I tell you what. It was such a feel-good moment for our employees. And it was a bold decision, but again, we did it on the basis of uh, right versus wrong. And and we've kind of sometimes disappointed people by not taking a stand on some of the issues that I characterize as uh, right versus left. Talent recruitment and retention is top of mind for so many. What insights can you share about creating a great employee culture and experience? Yeah, let me say uh, talent recruitment in my mind has... uh, completely changed over the last uh, five to 10 years. It used to be employees were looking for a a good location, maybe that nice building like we have in Seaport. They're looking for interesting work. Uh, They want to be paid well. And those things are still important. But what's risen from the maybe the bottom of the list to the top of the list is what does your company stand for? What is your culture? 
And that's the most important thing. You know, if we get through that, then they'll ask, what's the job? How does it pay? Is it interesting or not? So I think that companies like PTC have had to be very thoughtful and deliberate about how we craft our purpose and how we guide and shape and nurture our culture so that we could be viewed as an attractive place to stay if you already work for us or an attractive place to join if uh, if we're trying to hire you. And again, to me, that was the bottom of the list 10 years ago, and it's the top of the list now. And uh, it's a different set of skills to develop that. You know, I, I'm much more of a technologist. I'm very, very comfortable with technology. But uh, at PTC, we've made a lot of investments to ramp up programs and bring in talent to really uh, try to guide our culture and, and make the company a great place to work on all those uh, softer dimensions. Diversity, equity, inclusion are important issues for businesses to focus on. What has been the position of PTC on this and how do you communicate that to your team and the community? Yeah, back in, uh, I think it was 2020, uh, following some of the Black Lives Matter uh, protests and so forth, we decided that as a company, we probably needed to step up. It was one of these uh, right versus wrong issues. And uh, so we launched, um, you know, in our company, if you really want to make something happen, you have to start a program, you have to give them a budget, you need a leader, you need a cross-functional team. So we created uh, a DEI program and we hired our first uh, chief diversity officer, uh, Camila Benjamin Fuller, and uh, really leaned in on it. And we made a lot of progress in the company, but also contributing, for example, we're the primary underwriter of the Mass TLC uh, Tech Compact for Social Justice. But internally, we made a lot of progress. In fact, just today we had an employee meeting and uh, we're actually now at the point where we're uh, setting targets, for example, uh, more diversity amongst the management ranks of PTC. And that's important because we're going from hey, we should have more diverse management to uh, precisely this is how your organization has to evolve in the coming years. And um, kind of almost giving out, like if we want to hit a sales number, we hand out quotas and uh, we try to build pipelines. And, you know, there's a lot of management trying to make sure that that we hit those targets. And so now we're kind of taking the same approach and uh, applying it, for example, to create more uh, diverse representation in our management ranks. Because that's we have fairly good diversity uh, kind of in the lower levels, but then as you climb the management ladder, it drops off pretty quickly. So uh, just today, uh, we kind of launched within our company that, hey, we're serious now. We're going to drive towards some very specific representation targets, which are going to affect hiring to a great degree. You know, a, a fairly high percentage of the management uh, positions we place in the coming years are going to have to be underrepresented minorities and women in order to get to these targets. So uh, it's a good example of, you know, what companies need to do if you really want to take this seriously and uh, move the needle. If I can just ask one more question about that. So how do you think that's great having those targets? Because as you said, you know, if you set a goal, it gets, it's more likely to get done. How do you think uh, PTC will try to find those people? Because I think that's a question for so many. It is a bit of a challenge to find people. Um, I think we have to be creative in uh, where we look and we have to a little bit uh, be creative in what it is that we're looking for. I mentioned brains and passion, brains, passion and fun, but brains and passion is actually a phrase that came from uh, some years ago, our hiring practices. We said the company's trying to change. And yet when we hire candidates, we try to hire people who have the same backgrounds we have. And those are just people we'd have to change. So Rather than hire people we'd have to change, let's hire people that change us. 
let's start looking for people who actually have a very different point of view than we do, as opposed to more of the same. And I think in order to get more diverse uh, representation, we have to take kind of a similar approach, which is we're not looking for people who know our industry inside and out in their female or underrepresented minorities. We're going to have to look for females and underrepresented minorities who have very interesting points of view, are very smart and passionate. And we're going to have to trust that they're going to bring something to us that we don't have, but probably need. And uh, so I think we're going to have to we're going to have to look differently and look in different places and look for somewhat different profiles than we typically have, because our industry is a little devoid of talent at those higher levels. And so we won't get there by stealing it from other companies. We'll have to generate it. So just to shift gears a little bit, Jim, talking about some of the other things you're involved in, you're on the board of the Mass Technology Leadership Council, which is really an important organization here in our community. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that MassTLC does and the impact that you see they have on what's happening here and across the country? Yeah, the Mass TLC Technology Leadership Council is a group of about 300 Massachusetts technology companies and affiliates like universities who have a a vested interest in the Massachusetts tech ecosystem. The purpose of the organization is to really try to make sure that Massachusetts is a great place to start, operate, and grow a technology company. Massachusetts is a pretty good place to do that, but, you know, frankly, there are some issues that we could improve as well. So, The Mass TLC tries to, first of all, create community so all of us organizations know each other and the key players know each other and we can learn from each other. We say you can't be best in class if you don't go to class. And to a great degree, Mass TLC is a class where we learn from each other. We can help each other. And then the organization as well does research and advocates for policy. DEI policy is a place that the Mass TLC is quite active they have various programs, including uh, a board-ready boot camp that tries to prepare diverse candidates to serve on boards of directors. They have the Mass uh, Compact for Social Justice, which uh, many technology companies have joined, and it requires that you make some commitments to do things to advance the state of DEI and so forth. And And that's one of the places where the Mass ecosystem is has a lot of work to do, let's say. Tech in general is uh, quite male and quite white. There's some amount of female representation, but when you get into uh, people of color, it drops off very fast. And in places like Boston, it really drops off. So there's a lot of work we need to do. And that's one of the fronts that the Mass TLC is trying to move the needle. Jim, you said that recruiting people is based upon what your company stands for and what is your culture. Can you answer that question for PTC? Yeah. So we say that what our company stands for, our purpose statement is uh, power to create, PTC, power to create. And what we tell our employees is that you yourself bring to work every day a power to create. You're helping us to create software that we sell to customers. You might be helping us to create business plans, create marketing programs, create websites, whatever. But we depend on your power to create. But then this power to create of our employees becomes embodied in our software, which of course is passed through to our customers and it becomes part of the customer's power to create. So that's sort of our culture statement to help people understand how do we fit in the world. We help companies develop this power to create great products. Jim, what sparked all of this? So we hosted a high school class from a Boston inner city school, and they saw some technology demonstrations and so forth. And then they had a session with the CEO where they could ask the CEO questions. And uh, one of the students, you know, maybe a black 10th grader 
said, uh, what does PTC stand for? And I said, oh, well, it used to stand for Parametric Technology Corporation. Uh, but then we, and they said, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, what do you stand for? And then I was like, you know, didn't have a very crisp answer. And they suddenly said, okay, you know, when a 10th grader can humiliate the CEO because he cannot convey what is our purpose. You know, everybody maybe had a different point of view, but nobody could write it down or nobody had written it down. That's what led to Power to Create, by the way. We have a series of values at PTC. I'll tick through them real quick. My favorite one is uh, brains, passion, and fun. It means uh, we're looking for people who are smart, who really care and want to lean in because they're passionate about it. And uh, don't take themselves too seriously because we want you know work to be a fun place to come to. The second value is PTC for all. That means bring your whole authentic self to work and uh, we'll be uh, very inclusive in our culture. The third is customer first. At the end of the day, the customer doesn't win. None of us uh, win for long. And then there's a couple more, excellence and uh, innovation, meaning we really want to be good at what we do, not just show up, but be best in class. And then finally, uh, boldness and agility. And that's so that we can keep adopting big, bold ideas as we have over the last decade and never grow, again, complacent and, and be overrun by inertia. So those are the values of our company. And uh, I think that's a pretty good package, both on the purpose and on the values uh, side. Yeah, I would say so. I always love uh, hearing these things because they always inspire me just to, to do things better in my own organization and do things differently. You know, Jim, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of your observations on Boston and sort of the business outlook in the city and the region in general. When you think about that topic, what are you optimistic about and what worries you? Again, I look at it from the tech ecosystem point of view because that's what I know. I myself, by the way, am a transplant to Boston who moved there when uh, when I was acquired by PTC 20 years ago. I think Boston's got a great tech ecosystem, but to be honest, we're quite far behind Silicon Valley, just in terms of magnitude. Silicon Valley is a much bigger place, but they have a much stronger ecosystem that feeds off itself and nurtures itself than we do. We have and it's really why like the mass TLC is so important is we can't just be independent Boston companies. We have to also help each other and turn this into a vibrant place again to start, grow and um, operate a, a technology company. One of the problems we have is that we're the biggest exporter of tech talent. You know, the universities in Boston really, uh, let's say Massachusetts, but the Boston area really powers Silicon Valley and a whole lot of other tech hubs. <laughs> It's pretty incredible how many people come here to get educated and then go away to start a company and become entrepreneurs and so forth. So I wish there was a way, and there's lots of challenges uh, that get in the way, but I wish there was a way that people who got educated in uh, Boston more frequently became entrepreneurs in Boston. You know, I say Boston, I really mean Massachusetts. I think there's a big brain drain there somehow that... Uh, if we could figure out a way to capture more of that talent and keep it in-house, it would really help the uh, the economy of Massachusetts and the tech ecosystem in Boston. So do you have any uh, sort of call to action for yourself, for your peers and, and others in, in other areas in the community that can help maybe make that happen who might be listening? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a series of uh, challenges. There's some uh, policy problems that get in the way. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the millionaire's tax, for example, because it kind of tells an entrepreneur that you start a company and, and land it big. We're going to take 9% of it. And, mm -hmm. and if you do it, you know, in several other states, they wouldn't take any of it. Um, so I'm not a big fan of taxes on entrepreneurs who have big dreams. 
I mentioned uh, Boston's not viewed as a particularly friendly place for people of color, for example. And so there's a lot of people that say, mm, I don't know, it's a little too it's a little too white for me. Maybe I should go to a place that's a little bit more diverse. So there's some challenges like that. You know, there are others. And then there's some great building blocks. I mean, the universities, the fact that we do have uh, hundreds of tech companies in Boston and some pretty great ones. So, you know, it's kind of there's a, a list of pros and a list of uh, challenges that we need to go tackle. And, uh, you know, the Mass TLC is trying to play a role. And there's some other organizations as well trying to play a role and guide some policies and so forth that would uh, solve some of the problems that might cause entrepreneurs to take their idea and uh, grow it somewhere else. Jim, we like to close with some rapid fire questions. So off the top of your head, are you ready? Yeah, sure. <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up? An astronaut. <laughs> awesome. You almost are in many respects. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> What's your favorite food? Uh, Chinese. What are you currently reading and or watching? Uh, Yellowstone. It's my uh, it's my favorite thing to watch. Who's a Boston leader or organization that we should watch? Uh, Maura Healy. And I say that because she's she's stepping into some very big shoes, you know, of a very popular middle of the road governor who, uh, you know, is one of the most popular in the nation. Uh, I'm actually impressed thus far to see it go from a Republican seat to a Democrat seat. And yet. Uh, what I like about Mora so far, and I'm sorry, this is not a rapid fire answer, but uh, <laughs> what I like is that, uh, you know, she's being thoughtful and uh, not opposing everything Charlie Baker did because he's a Republican and she's a Democrat, you know, and as a as a middle of the road independent, I hate it when uh, politicians do that. So, so far, I'm impressed. But, you know, I think she's got big shoes to fill and, you know, God bless her. I hope she uh, hope she does. What's a favorite spot in the city? Harbor Walk, uh, downtown Boston, the seaport. My wife and I uh, walked that many, many, many times. I like that spot of the city as well, as you yeah, can tell. Exactly. Yeah, What makes you laugh? Uh, Saturday Night Live. It's been making me laugh for 40 years, and it's just <laughs> as funny now as it ever was. And finally, what's a wish you have for Boston? I'd go back to that we could do a better job retaining the incredible talent that we educate in the city. I just think such a loss that so many people come here to get smart and then go home to do something with it. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Jim, and for sharing your insights. All right. Thank you. I'm John Bernstein. And I'm Carolyn Jones. And this is PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. Our guest today was Jim Heppelman, CEO of PTC. You can find C-Speak at bizjournals.com backslash Boston or on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time.